Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the same 24 hours podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This is quite quite a world we're living in in quite a crazy time. And I appreciate any time that you are willing to spend with me. So thank you. I think this is one of the more important episodes that I have published, even though they're all fun and and unique and powerful in their own way. But Lisa Renee Hall is my guest today. She's an anti-bias facilitator and tour guide who has helped over 62,000 leaders with a quiet, gentle, and highly sensitive personality go on an inner field trip to explore, explore their unconscious biases. And in order to do that, she takes you through her community and it's not a course. Um, she allows you to join her community and you do internal work to protect your energy and stand on the side of justice so we can become better ancestors. You can check out her website, innerfieldtrip.com. I will be joining her community shortly after speaking with her. I'm very, very inspired with the work she's doing. As you know, I have made a commitment to be a part of anti-racist work and half the time I don't know what I'm doing, but I do know that I am going to come out on the right side of history with all of this. And I'm going to be available and a part of doing the work that I need to do to make sure I do, don't do harm. And so part of what Lisa and I talk about is how to do this. And I just adore her and I'm looking to be a part of the solution and that's it. And so that's what I offer with this episode is a beautiful, beautiful interview with a beautiful person who is providing us with opportunity for how to become better humans, flawed humans, but better humans who can make a difference in our current world, but also in the generations to come, which is going to be the major impact. So I welcome you all to this episode with Lisa Renee Hall. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I almost forgot my name. Wow. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a week. I was like, Meredith, hmm, what is that last name? Anyway, I am very excited about our guest today. Lisa Renee Hall is here. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. It is my honor. Truly, truly my honor. I've been following you your reels. I found you on a reel, you know, those things on Instagram that I'm, yeah. I'm determined not to jump into. And then he, there yeah. I am, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so glad you agreed to come on. We are going to talk about um, some good stuff today, starting with whatever you would like to jump off with. But I think um, letting everyone know that we're going to dive into some hard topics, but that this podcast has always been from day one about growth 
and how to make the most of your 24 hours. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So Lisa, why don't we start off with just a little bit about your uh, background and where you came from and just see where we go. So I am a second generation Canadian of Jamaican descent with Nigerian, Cameroonian, French, Scottish, and Irish history or ancestry. <laughs> Say that 10 times. Right. Uh, but it's important for me to share my ancestries and where I come from, because that's part of reclaiming my humanity. And I think it's a thing, it's something that a lot of us don't do, which is why when it comes to unconscious biases, when it comes to bigotry, so many of us are confused what to say and are like, I don't, I don't want to say anything wrong. Or someone will say that there's just too much political correctness out there right now. When in fact, when you know your humanity and you get in touch with that, you're never worried about what you're going to say. Plain and simple. Wow. That's like 10 things to, to <laughs> unpack. Like, I'm like, oh my God, humanity. You just said humanity. But that is so interesting because is it because you're coming from a place of pure love, of pure understanding that you're like, when you know where you came from, you can accept, you can look at the past, right? And That's see right. it for what it is. What so, is it that makes us more human when we see the past? So there's all this talk these days about historical figures and um, and the harm that they've created. And there's a big debate about whether or not do we include these historical figures in, in our current discourse, in our current culture? Uh, how can we be patriotic if we're not talking about these individuals that were part of nation building? So for example, here in Canada, our very first prime minister is Sir John A. Macdonald. And he was a strategic nation builder because of his um, strategy and strategic mind, Canada is from sea to shining sea, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, but at what cost? Mm. And it was at the cost of doing some very harmful things to indigenous populations that were along the route to the West. And so there was decisions that Sir John A. Macdonald did that caused the starvation and genocide of many indigenous populations in this country. So the reason why I mentioned this as an example to answer your question, Meredith, is because when we can look into the past and see that we're not talking about heroes and villains, that we're talking about individuals who are flawed, then it mm -hmm. reminds us of our flaws. And Aside for histor from historical figures that you know did crimes against humanity, uh, we need to come to terms that in our family trees, there are ordinary people that did extraordinary things. And sometimes they did great things. And often because they're human, they also caused harm. And so if we can come to terms with that nuance that exists even within our own family trees, then it allows us to accept who we are and the fullness of our humanity and humanity isn't going to be positive all the time it's not going to be uh, thumbs up it's not going to be you know think and then you are type of stuff it's also going to involve some pretty hard stuff and if not then you're not truly human <laughs> <laughs> but you you like something comes to mind when you say this because I feel like especially in in my um with skin color privilege, we'll just say that, um, 
we think about our history and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to speak for all white people, but you know, you can accept that great uncle or great grandpa John was a raging lunatic and that he ran around on his wife and like was an alcoholic and that's in our lineage. And man, we can, it's almost like you can see the humanity on every level, except the disparaging treatment of other people and other cultures. And, and that is kind of the jumping off point, I think. And, and the fact that, that those deeds, the history, the bias is in our genetics mm-hmm. and it's passed down mm-hmm. and we want to go back to, but we're good people. Of course, of course. Right. And, and there's a rush to show that we're one of the good ones. So when George Floyd was murdered, in May of 2020 and people started getting activated because you know this is not the first time that a black man had lost his lives while interacting with law enforcement but it's the first time when all other distractions were gone and now all of us had nothing to do but to view this terrible Mm -hmm. way that a human being dies and so many people were activated because now it's like oh um you know I have to do something, I have to do something. And then along the way, making mistakes. But one of the big thing, one of the big mistakes that people make is if they're what they're seeing and what they're hearing is racism, then they rush to be, they they rush to show that they're one of the good ones. Right. And so along the way, they're they're not stopping to realize that a lot of this is, is you're just recreating harm. You're gonna go out there hunting for the first black person you find and then hand them money. You're gonna to go to these marches and march, march, march. You're gonna buy these all these books, a stack of books you'll never get through in your lifetime, but man, you bought them all. <laughs> Guilty. Them all. And, and, all, and, and I'm seeing people talking about these anti-racism books as if they're trading Pokemon cards. Oh, but, but, but did you read this one? Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad? Yeah, I did. But did you read this one? You, you know, how to be, how not to be anti-racist by, and then on and on. We're, did you, and so I'm looking at this unbridled enthusiasm about unpacking racism, but it's, 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 it's centered in congratulating themselves for being a good ally and a mm. good person it's and in bringing the attention it's, it's the white centering it's it's, it's white bringing centering. the attention attention to us even if we're apologizing it's a way of being like oh we got more likes on instagram for that yes right and look i put up the um the black photo to you know mute yeah. myself so i can elevate melanated voices and I, i'm not saying that these things can't take place but when they take place and you're not changing anything about yourself, then it's right. all performative. It's all right. performance. It's the idea that we have to do something. We're over here wringing our hands. There's there's silence and that something must be done. So we must perform, step forward and show Yeah. instead of looking inward because that's where the scary stuff is. That's where the scary stuff is. And I, I don't blame any of us. I mean, it is it is scary to try to look back on the past and say, okay, who were my ancestors and what were the, the harm they caused along the way? It's very hard to do that. 
it's very hard to sit down and say, okay, I've, I've, you know, there's this photo of this black family and they look so happy on Instagram, but I felt triggered. I felt angry. I felt frustrated looking at them. Why is that? So instead of sitting with ourselves and asking ourselves, why are we so bothered by seeing black people, you know, happy and joyous instead, we'll, someone will post a very nasty reply on that Instagram post saying, you know, well, you know, your child shouldn't be wearing that type of clothing for whatever reasons. And just something nasty that's put out there. And so as you pointed out, Meredith, which is where my work centers, it's calling us in, not only as people with skin color privilege, but also those of us who try to uh, play the part of the model minority, calling us in and saying, okay, we need to sit down and ask ourselves why do I believe one thing, but behave another way, which is the conflict that exists within each of us, that you may truly believe that you're one of the good ones. I, have, I don't have a racist bone in my body, but yet when you pass a group of black teenagers on the road, you clutch at your purse. Yeah. Why? That's a conflict between what you believe and how you behave. And at some point it becomes so apparent that now it's like, okay, I'm seeking that, that something happens, which shows you head on that there's a conflict between behavior and belief. That's the person that I work with because <laughs> now they're ready. They're ready to go within. Right. Right. And I can tell you since, I mean, I think I started, you know, I hate to say it waking up because that, that's such an annoying term. Like, Anyway, but the truth is in February was when I started doing the, the internal work and you are, you nailed it when you like, I believe very strongly and, oh, I don't have a racist bone in my body, but the internal reactions that I have are totally like, you are a liar. <laughs> you are right. And I'm like, but I am not, I do not want to be. But when you, and I think this is what scares everyone off, right? They're like, well, I tried, I posted on my Instagram and I donated. What more do you want from me? Right. right. Yes. And yes. then it, but it's that internal work that is necessary. That is the only way. It's just like when you go on a diet, if you, you can lose weight, but if you don't change your internal relationship to food it's gonna all go to waste like all of this oh, life nice. work has to be done internally or it's just you're gonna gain the weight and be more racist in public again. <laughs> and then everyone will see you're not a good person no but I mean all jokes aside I that was the greatest gift for me was to start to look and see like it is in my bones yes and right yes yes it is and it's in your nervous system, it's in your cells, it's in your body. And so when it comes to that inner work, many people can say, you know, well, I'm, I'm confused. What does it look like? What does it mean? Many people who are anti-racist educators and anti-racist facilitators will say, you know, do the work. And everyone's like, well, I'm doing the work. I'm buying the books. Yeah, but do the work. Yeah, but I'm, you know, and on and on and on. So what we need to do is understand what doing the inner work is. And the inner work, it, it's not some big confusing thing. It's not something that, um, you know, you need to go and go on some 
some some some trip to the mountains in the east and meet with a shaman a shaman at the top of the you know it's not it's it doesn't have to be that complicated although all of us would enjoy that about now oh, like absolutely <laughs> having can we travel anywhere okay <laughs> <laughs> we'll depending what on your passport <laughs> depending on what passport you hold oh, these true. days that's but true. And so the inner work, the way I interpret, there's, there's several different things that you can do in order to start to question and interrogate the biases that you hold within. And first, I like, let, let me illustrate it first with an acronym called AIM. And I often tell people to take AIM at your unconscious biases following these three steps. So the A, the I, and the M, and AIMs each stands for a particular step. So the A is awareness. And that's the waking up that you talked about, Meredith. Something has caused you to become aware and, and become cognizant that there's a problem. So after the A, most people jump to the M, which is motion. And now they get into action. They're buying the books. They're attending the, 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 the rallies. They're donating to the causes. The problem is when you skip over the I, which is in, interrupt, then by immediately going to the M, you start to create harm. And some of the harm that's created, I mean, I said, mentioned it before, but let me make it more specific. One of them is the white centering, as you talked about, Meredith, where it's all about me, me, me. I'm doing the work, I'm doing this, I'm buying the books. But another one is this idea of white savorism, that because you became aware that people of African descent are still uh, navigating this world, a racist world, a world that puts them down because of skin color, then you believe that every Black person you meet needs to be saved and rescued and fixed. When in fact, the Black experience is so nuanced and it's so layered that no two Black people have the same experience. That while there are some white um, Black people that do need help, there are others that don't just like there are some white people that need help and some Southeast Asians that need help and on and on and on I can go. But when you only see black skin and associate that with poverty or criminality, then that's your racism also coming out. And so we wanna back up to the eye in aim and the eyes to interrupt. And the way that I do this and help my patrons and my community on Patreon interrupt their unconscious biases is that I've written some guided prompts and what they do, and these guided prompts are a series of questions on a particular theme. And then they read the questions and then do the, then they do stream of consciousness writing by setting the timer for 30 minutes and writing everything that comes to mind. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful exercise because what comes up is exactly what you need to interrupt. And what becomes real and visible is that, oh my goodness, yes. As you said before, Meredith, yes. I do have some of these really bad phobic, <laughs> bigotry type of thoughts that lay within. Things that I've pushed aside, things that I've ignored, messages I've heard from my parents, my grandparents, and, and, and so on. And so it's a beautiful process of self-discovery because you can't hide from yourself. Right. Right. And the internal, like I do a lot of work with Handel Group and one of the things that they focus on is our inner dialogue and that, that part of ourself, which in order to find the light, you have to acknowledge the dark. 
and you have to hear what you're saying inside your skull <laughs> at all times. And, and, you know, most of the time when people are not aware of that, they're running this internal dialogue all the time, all the time. They're, all the time, you know, they're like, oh, I just don't, I don't have anything going on in there. I'm like, oh, that means it's really dark and ugly because <laughs> you've never heard it, you know, <laughs> because when we hear the dark and ugly, that's when you can start to do something about it. It's, it's that unawareness. Like you're saying the interruption, you have to hear the thoughts that are in your head. And that's the stream of consciousness writing. Right. That's the thought coming out on paper. Then you go, oh my Lord, <laughs> I just thought that. And that's how you interrupt it. And that shadow part of ourselves, I call it our inner oppressor. Some call it, you know, the inner critic, inner mean girl. I've heard different phrases, but I call it the inner oppressor. And it's that part of ourselves that seeks to bully us and to force us into complying with the dominant culture. And so the dominant culture has particular traits that you must have in order to obtain prestige and profits and, and power. And so dominant culture, what comes to mind is the nuclear family, mom, dad, and 2.5 children. Any type of family makeup outside of the nuclear family is frowned upon. Mm. Um, you must be in a relationship with a uh, man and woman. Can't be two men and two women. Oh my, that's, you know, the dominant culture frowns on that. That's absurd. Able body, yep. um, neurotypical is another white rich urban dweller and I can keep going on and on I think I have an infographic on my <laughs> my Instagram profile that goes through the different traits I feel very attacked right now Lisa very attacked <laughs> <laughs> I'm like uh, yeah mm -hmm, yeah yep, right 2.5 I have checking, a lizard yeah, two checking, kids and check, a lizard 2.5 right, right. And so no I know I've done it all and, the, and then these fault and these feelings that come up which is often I find with my patrons is that feeling of shame and guilt and I, I feel guilty because my life was this way. I'm, I'm ashamed that somehow I have all these traits of the dominant culture and I've been given this good life, not knowing that others were suffering. And so part of this work of the inner work is to come to terms that your inner oppressor has made you believe and made you act a certain way for a long time as a form of protection. And it was designed that way. And it was designed that way. It was designed that way. But now that you're unpacking and you're in the know and you're exploring your biases, now it sets you up for a new future. One where you break the generational curses that have been attached to your bloodline for generations. One where you start to look ahead and start to have, as the Iroquois nations say, to have seventh generation thinking where instead of making a decision just in the here and now for you, it becomes, okay, but how will my great-grandchildren grow? And even if you are child-free, child you still have an obligation because you, we don't just pass on DNA. We pass on ideas. We pass on affinities and, 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 and um, attachments. We pass on our knowledge of a new environment. So whether you have children or not, you still have an obligation to start to heal yourself so that you have seventh generation thinking. 
And, and Meredith, you had said this in the green room before we um, started recording. Oh, is that also, what it was? The green room? <laughs> I'm like going to say. take that. I'm going to start being like, oh, we're in the green room right now. It looks like room. my sounds, bedroom, but it's the green room. That sounds so Pass official. Pass it on. Pass it sounds on. Sounds so official. But it's also to, to look back and see what side of the coin did my ancestors um, stand on? What side of justice did Meredith stand on? What side of justice did Lisa stand on? And I, I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want history to show that I stood on the side of justice using a process and a means that aligns with my unique personality. Because I'm, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm a deep feeler. I'm not going to go to marches. I'm not going to go to sit-ins. I find it completely draining and I'm just heightened. But instead, I found my little uh, my little nook, where I can use stream of consciousness writing to just dig deep into my inner self, and then have and invite people to join me with that process, so that we stop making our sensitivities an excuse as to why we cannot engage, and be on the side of justice. So what are some of the individuals, what are some of, maybe you can share a story or an experience or some, you know, something you have seen from your work, like someone's gone through your course and they said, oh my gosh, you know, and this is what I learned and this is how it has changed me. Because I think there is some confusion between like, okay, well, I'm awake and I know I got this bias, but when do I act? What do, you know, there's this I don't know why we're just so like, uh. <laughs> right. Helpless, hopeless. Like, I mean, stuck. It, yes. Stuck. You know, it's, it makes me feel stupid. Um, and I talked to, I have a good friend. She's in Kansas. She's black and her name is Latrice and hi Latrice. I know you're listening. Um, but she will <laughs> check on me and she's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I have privilege. Why are you asking me? You know, because I know, and, but she also knows that I'm desperately trying um, to figure out all the things. And, and so what have people, like, how have they done in your program that you can kind of share? Like, okay, they uncovered their bias, right. then this, then this, then this, to maybe shine a light. Cause I, I do feel stuck sometimes, but I just, I keep showing up. Like you said, your hashtag is stumble bravely. And so yes. here I am. <laughs> yes. Stumbling along bravely. Yeah. And I want to thank um, ideological ancestor, Alice Walker who wrote the book, um, The Color Purple. And she had a quote where she said that we just stumble along bravely and I just thought, oh, that's magic, mm. magic. But um, going back to your question, yeah, there's um, one, of, one of the big things that patrons tend to, tend to arrive at after they've gone through the writing of some of the prompts and and it's not a course it's um it's a community that people okay. join okay sorry yeah it's a community that people join because you know the course and and some of my patrons have used that terminology too and i've had to correct them a course sounds like there's a specific beginning and a specific end. yes and i am so glad to hear that because i am tired of courses <laughs> <laughs> who isn't who isn't community sounds so much better yeah. yeah, so they join this community and we hold each other accountable. And so people can do the prompts at their own pace. Because if you try to write 
in a stream of consciousness way, which is writing without editing, without stopping, without stopping, stopping, stopping. That's actually a Why great not? word. <laughs> yeah, stopping. No, let's make it up. Let's, let's, let's add it. <laughs> but and and so some people have tried to do this on their own without guided prompts, and they're just like, well, my inner oppressor isn't saying anything. So yeah, you have to be specific. You have to go to your inner oppressor and say specifically, I need to know about this. And having a set of guided prompts helps to direct them. And so what my patrons often understand is that we need to hurry up and slow down. In other words, this, this quest to try to unravel biases that have taken shape over years and years and years and trying to do that in one sitting is unrealistic. It has taken generations for your biases to take shape. It's going to take more than one lifetime for them to unravel. But the good news is that the person who starts it now sets up their descendants so that they don't repeat the same mistakes. And so, I don't know, there's, there's so many different examples. There are patrons who have been able to redefine what activism looks to them. So instead, they have come to accept that, yeah, I can't go out to these marches. And now I know why. And now I'm not going to use that as an excuse because there are other things I can do. We have this impression that we need to be out there doing the big, loud things. But even on the plantations throughout the American South and throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, there were the big rebellions, the open rebellions, where those who were enslaved took up anything they could to kill or harm the, the individuals holding them in bondage, yes. But then there were the small acts, the small daily acts that were done that also contributed to the ending of the horrible institution of slavery. And so whether it was poisoning the master's food or damaging and sabotaging the tools on the plantation, there were little things that were done each day in order to ensure that they were, those who were enslaved were, were, were on a pathway fighting for their freedom. So if both those existed on the plantation, then the same thing is true for activism today. And many of my patrons who have more quiet personalities, who are deep feelers, who tend to be activated and overstimulated in environments where there's loud voices and so on, many of them have found acceptance that this is the way I'm going to do my activism. I'm going to do it this way. They also understand as patrons that when you're unpacking your unconscious biases, this is not an opportunity for you to lead the effort. The mistake that some people make is that oh, I'm awake. Yes. Now let me go out and launch a nonprofit. Let me go out and lead this march. Not realizing that there have been people on the ground doing this work prior to your awareness. That was my shock. I was like, oh my gosh, this has been... I couldn't, and that's what makes, I would imagine, makes you, Lisa, so just like, and I just hit my head with my hand because it's like, we have been saying this for, since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. And so if you have skin color privilege and you're unpacking your unconscious biases, you realize that you will use your privilege to open doors. Use your privilege to redistribute the wealth, and that's a form of paying reparations, that 
yes, there might be an opportunity where you can stand before your family members and others who share your skin color, skin tone and do some education because that of course is very helpful. But when it comes to leading these efforts, those who have skin color privilege, privilege use that to open doors to finance causes that are already on the ground. That's one way that you can be effective. And this is one thing that my patrons begin to understand. So they're not launching anti-racism education consulting companies. <laughs> they're not launching anti-bias consulting agencies. What they're doing instead is they're bringing a liberatory framework into their businesses, into their workplaces, a liberatory, a liberatory uh, framework, which doesn't just talk about inclusion, but also, talk, but also ensures that the work environment, the corporate culture, the community, and so on changes in such a deep and dynamic way so that those who come in can be accepted no matter their skin color, their race, their nationality, their sexual orientation, religion, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that's what you should be doing as you continue to unpack these unconscious biases. It's beautiful. And one of the things you said early on um, in this little one after I posed the question was about <clears throat> the, the duty that we have to future generations. And I think that is so powerful. And, and it's obviously in the unconscious bias realm, but the understanding that everything we do impacts our children and their children and our grandchildren and generations and generations. And that if we don't begin to address this in ourselves, it's going to continue to come out in our children. And this will never, like, you know, if you asked me, I'd say, oh, it's, well, it's better now than it was 20 years ago. And maybe it is, I don't, I don't know. I'm not the one to measure that, but. Right, like according to who? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, who are you asking? Right. Right. But that's what I think we think like, oh, well, I'm not openly racist. And which kind of leads me to the next question. Like talk about the crazy white racist, like the white supremacist open groups and mm -hmm. the internal bias white supremacist and how denouncing your involvement with the ones who are openly racist right. doesn't matter to the long-term generation, future generation impact. That's right. So, so um, yeah, so there's the overt forms of bigotry and bias as, and, and most people understand that. Most people get what that looks like. It's the calling someone the N-word on the bus. It's um, being violent towards someone who is Asian. It's um, so we, we get it. We understand what that looks like. It, it's calling uh, someone from the LGBTQIA plus community a, a harmful word. That's something we understand. What we don't seem to grasp is that there are covert forms of bigotry and bias that can come out. So, for example, um, whenever I would travel to the US and attend conferences, there would be at least one person who would say, Oh, you so you you speak so well. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and, 
And before I came into my work as a anti-bias facilitator, I often would like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm from Canada. I, I'm, was like, I went to university. So that's probably why it sounds so like articulate. Yeah, that's the word articulate is what they would use. Not realizing at the time, and this, and this is why, and this is why this is I need to say this. Not every person who is black is an anti-racist, is, is an expert in how to be anti-racist. So like we need to also see black people outside of their skin color. Not all of us are experts in skin color issues and whether right. race, race, um, critical race theory. So stop it, right? If someone's a fitness trainer and they're black, then that's their expertise. Thanks. <laughs> You're not back. speaking for all black people. No, I'm not speaking for all black people. Let me go back. Um, so there's the covert forms of so it wasn't until I started to do my own unpacking of my own, you know, unconscious biases, because I have some, that I started to see that that compliment, you're so articulate, was actually coded in and deeply ingrained in bigotry and racism, because it's the idea that you are an exception. Right. I hear all these other Black folks speaking this way, but you're the exception. And that's not a compliment to me at all to tell me I'm articulate. Mm -hmm. Like how else am I supposed to sound? So that's one example of a covert form of bigotry, of covert form of bias, or someone that wants to touch my hair and ask me all these excessive questions about my hair. Do you wash it every day? Do you wash it? You know, can I touch it? Why do you want to touch my hair? I'm not a zoo animal, please don't. And there's, and the, and the thing, these covert forms of bias are rooted in history. So right. I'm a historian. Everything that I talk about when it comes to bias and racism comes from a historical perspective. I always look back to see how our um, biases have been encoded today. Some people look at racism from a psychological standpoint. Others look at it from a social scientist perspective. Me, it's historical and it's all different and it all matters. I mentioned this because in history, history is replete with examples of the ways in which Black people were treated as animals. And especially around, there's a case, her name was Black Venus. That was the name that was given to her. Sarah Houghton Todd or some, anyway, she was from Africa and she was brought up to Europe and was put on display in circuses because of the the roundness of her buttocks. And so there she was on display for people to come and, and gawk at and fawn on. And yet she didn't have her own freedom. And so this idea of coming to, like you might say, but I just wanna to touch your hair, but there's always historical significance to this need to come and pet me because that's what was done with black people so long ago as they were treated as circus exhibits, something that dehumanized them. Right. So the covert forms of racism, big, bigotry, they stem from somewhere. And so if black people are being sensitive, we're not. What we're doing is we're responding to something that has been a historical fact that is only being carried forward to us to this day. And so if you're working on yourself internally and you come across someone where you, oh, can I touch your, and it, no, no, no. And they, they seem to react. 
if you're doing your inner work, you'll take a step back and inquire upon yourself, what is the basis for her reaction? Why did she react that way? And so the more we can do our inner work, the less fragile we'll be when it comes to the reactions we get. And the more that we center that person, the one who's marginalized, instead of centering our poor feelings. I was right. hurt. She hurt me. Right. She's so rude. <laughs> no, get over yourself. You have privilege. Right. You've done something to offend them. And right. if you weren't so fragile, you'd be able to step back and say to yourself, what did I do? Right. And to understand that that is valid, that someone, it is a valid emotion for someone to be ticked off. It is valid. And if you can just say, oh my gosh, your emotions are valid. And now I'm going to ask what I did. That's it. You know, it's the whole, the, I think the, the things that white people don't get is there's this invalidation of other cultures, emotions. It's like, why are you getting so mad? You could touch my hair. I wouldn't get mad. And so we're like, eh, you know, That's and right. so I was on a weightlifting team. Um, most of this was my exposure to other cultures growing up in the South. Cause I went to prep school and with all my other white friends, but then I went into a weightlifting team, which was very diverse. It had all sorts of people, all sorts. And I mean that from able-bodied to disabled-bodied to like run the gamut of different people. And two of my good friends were black and they had braids and I always wanted to touch their braids. And so as, you know, I was 15. So they let me touch their braids. And like, I owed them apologies. That was the realization I came out of when I started doing my work. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go back and apologize for asking. That. But I did because that was a bias I had as a 15 year old. And, and I would never, I would never do that now in a hundred million years ask, even right. though I, but I want to. And in some cultures, the braiding of the hair, there's significance. I know within many indigenous nations, the, the right. each braid, the three bra um, braiding with the three, the hairs in threes, yeah. each means something. <laughs> right. Um, in, in Jamaican culture, uh, there is a, there's the Rastafarians. They wear their hair long mm -hmm. for religious reasons. Right. Uh, and, and so the need to touch that hair is to me an absence of someone knowing their own culture and where they come from, because whiteness is not a culture. Right. White right. skin. Some, there's someone who. Oh, listen to that again, everyone. Whiteness it's is not a not culture. culture. Yeah. White skin is not a culture. And the fact that so many are so tied to their skin color as culture is an absence of culture, right? which then is what springs forth a lot of the harm that comes out of this culture of white supremacy, the culture of whiteness. And so what I do with my patrons is I encourage them to go back in time and reclaim their ancestral roots. And what's sad is for many of them, they don't know what it is. Why? Because an ancestor came across those seas and landed on Turtle Island, which is collectively what is known today as Canada and the United States, and decided that they would anglicize their name, they would try to get rid of their accent, would stop speaking their native tongue, and do all these things just so that they could fit in. 
And instead, what we have is we have this, this forgetting, mm. this forgetting, which then leads to a lack of belonging, which then be leads to the anger, the frustration, because when you feel you don't belong, then that's an absence of your identity. So my question to you is how can you reclaim your ancestral roots without appropriating, without reinventing it into this, this symbol of superiority? There's a lot of symbols that have been claimed by the um, white nationalist movements from the Celtic religion, and they've repurposed it into symbols of hate. And that's not the way it started. So my question to you is, as you look back in time, I mean, if you're adopted, if you've been separated from your family members due to uh, adoption, due to an act of violence, genocide, or maybe just people don't want to talk about other family members, you can still get around it. You can still get around them and still find out much about your past because you are probably the one to reclaim what your ancestors gave up. Mm. so that you can heal and move forward. And so it's not hopeless. And that's the hope that I give to my patrons. That's not hopeless. That even if you come from a long line of colonizers, it's still not hopeless. You cannot give up because you're going to do the healing that will heal the bloodline in the past because you're going to do something different for the future. It is possible. Mm. Ah, my heart, my little, little tiny heart just grew a size. It did. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Lisa. This is, was so wonderful. Um, I think it was on one of your Instagram lives. You, you quoted Toni Morrison and the quote was the purpose of racism is distraction. Yes. And I thought we could end there because I thought that was really really powerful. And then I want you to tell everyone how they can join your inner field trip. Yeah. So the inner field trip is a um, combination of the guided prompts and the stream of consciousness writing. And when you become a patron, you'll gain access to 10 complimentary writing prompts that you can get started with. And, and then you'll meet the community. We're a community of very dark. You know, one thing I want to do a long time, Meredith, is I said, I remember I found something the other day that I had written that I wanted to create a community that was diverse, di not, and not just diversity in terms of skin color, but also sexual orientation, religion, language, and so on. And I'm happy to say that all these years later, the inner field trip community is just that. Oh, that's great. I have people in the community who identifies men. I have people in the community who identify as women. I have people in the community who are gender non-conforming. I have people in the community who are uh, straight and I have those who identify as queer. I have people from all over the world. So we bring those various different perspectives to play and it's just been amazing, amazing. And to be able to be in a spot where we're not being watched mm. to see, oh, she's gonna make a mistake. Oh, there it is. You know, we're not, we're not in a space, in that space to be judged, that we can stumble bravely and make those mistakes in an environment where everyone else is also stumbling bravely and that we're not going to cancel each other out. So if you're interested, you can go to innerfieldtrip.com and just click on join the quest to read up more about what you will get as 
being a patron. And this is the model that nourishes me, satisfies me both intellectually and financially. And so you will have a choice to choose from four predetermined amounts and um, be part of this community of brave stumblers. I'm going to join right when we get off. Please do. I, I, I am very, I love that it's a community and not a course. I've taken a lot of courses. I'm tired. I'm poor me. Poor me, Lisa. Poor white yeah, me. Yeah, poor you. I'm tired. <laughs> You're I'm centering nervous. yourself. You are I centering know. yourself. I know. But it, it's know. fun. It's, it, it's a great, it's a great place for, um, again, for us to stumble bravely. And what was the other thing I want to mention about the community? I wanted to mention that, yes, please join. <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. But I love that you said that it was something that you had felt for so long. Yes. And I think that is that is the beautiful thing about the creatives. And um, when opportunity arises, it's like, oh, I've just been waiting for this. But I knew what I wanted all along. And I think that's so beautiful that you had you had a vision for it way before you even did way it. Before, but then way before. Yes. And the good well, news you, is that as your tour guide, tour guide. I'm also continuing to do my own inner reflection. And that's what has become important as well, is that I'm not just someone who has done it and now I'm at the top of the summit, uh, you know, preaching down to all my minions. Right. No, <laughs> I continue to do this practice every day. And um, thus it helps me to continue to be able to speak to the process that my patrons are going through because yeah. I continue to do it myself. And the, the best teachers and leaders are those who are in the trenches and doing the work every day. And it's it's the ones that stand up and say, I got it figured out that those are the ones you should be watching because they don't, <laughs> they don't got it figured. Well, my friend, thank you very much. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.